Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham. Welcome, everybody, to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We are delighted with the guests that we have today. Some great conversation in store. Bobby Harrington and Jason Henderson are with us. I'm Kevin Witham, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Megan Rawlings. I'm so excited to be here with you, Kevin. How you doing, buddy? Oh, doing great, Megan. Have you been? I'm good. Hey, how about this? I'm going to tell you guys about these guests. Our first guest, Bobby Harrington, is the point leader of Renew.org and Discipleship.org both collaborative disciple-making organizations. He is the founding and lead pastor of Harpeth Christian Church by the Harpeth River, just outside of good old Nashville, Tennessee. He has an MAR and an MDiv from Harding School of Theology and a Doctor of Ministry degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of more than 10 books on discipleship, including Discipleship with Jim Putman and Robert Coleman, The Disciple Maker's Handbook with Josh Patrick, and Becoming a Disciple Maker, the pursuit of level five disciple making with Greg Weens. He lives in the greater Nashville area with his wife and near his children and grandchildren in New York City. Kevin, would you like to learn a little more about our second guest, Jason Henderson? I sure would. Why don't you tell us a little bit more, Megan? Oh, I've got something to tell you. Check this out. (laughs) Jason Henderson has spent over 20 years in corporate leadership. His experience includes Fortune 500, military, and both public and private organizations. He has led professionally on governing boards in corporate associations and in over 30 countries. He is the COO, which is the chief operational officer, right? For those who don't know. You got it. You nailed it. I'm impressed by that. For Renew.org and a team member of Discipleship.org. He's a graduate of Virginia Tech and the Culinary Institute of America. And he lives in Franklin, Tennessee with his wife and two children. I am so excited to have you guys. Welcome. Glad to be here. It's our pleasure. We are thrilled to have you guys with us, and we want you to begin by telling us just a little bit about your backgrounds, about your spiritual journey, and how you got working together on this uh, this great project. And Jason, you might tell us a little bit about your background in the culinary arts. It made me hungry just hearing that. Jason, you go first. Okay, sure. Um, so yeah, I uh, I was raised in uh, within uh, the tradition that everybody is familiar with here. Um, and, uh, I, uh, got to a point, uh, where, with my, when I was pursuing my first degree at Virginia tech, um, where, um, I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot about, uh, sort of the rules, but I didn't know a lot about the relationship, uh, that I could have. And, um, I learned in a parenting book once rules without relationship equal rebellion. And so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I spent some prodigal years there uh, rejecting what I was taught growing up. Um, And during that time, I got a culinary degree, uh, traveled the world a little bit and um, cooked 
uh, in kitchens around the world, as well as for some big corporate companies. Um, and it was during uh, the corporate career that I found myself in Kansas City, found myself in a church that was uh, very, I guess they'd call themselves seeker sensitive. They had electric instruments and um, and had you know, six week sermon series, like finding God in the foam of your latte, but it's just what I needed at just the right time. I was, uh, I was wooed by the Holy spirit to pursue, uh, Jesus again. Um, my wife, I met in my travel, she's English and we were, uh, baptized together, uh, and, uh, have been pursuing Jesus ever since moved to Nashville, uh, still in the food business, uh, where we started attending Harpeth Christian church uh, where Bobby is the lead pastor. And uh, he and I became fast friends. I minored in philosophy. I love apologetics. That's part of what won me back um, to uh, to a love of all things the Bible. Uh, so he and I hit it off. We would have coffees. Uh, he started discipling me and uh, specifically in a class used to be called ordination process or the ordination classes. Now it's a digging deeper class. It's really for the serious lay people. It's a two-year program we have at Harpeth Christian Church. Um, and I took a uh, class called History of the Church where I learned that um, that actually um, growing up, uh, the, the folks that discipled me first didn't get it all wrong, that we were part of a big heritage and, um, and, and it's one that you can be proud of. And, um, and so it was really neat. And um, we, we've been... Uh, uh, we've been really putting in uh, volunteer time and service time at Harpeth Christian Church a lot. And it was uh, through that, Bobby and I sat down over tacos one day and um, he uh, asked me, hey, how are things going at work? And we had just sold the company that I was with at the time. And the new owners and I, um, no, no, uh, there, there was no uh, problems there. We just had different philosophies on how to move the company forward. And so my antenna was up for another opportunity. And I, I was real honest with Bobby that day that I, I wasn't sure if I was staying put. And he said, well, I've got something you should consider. And that was the operations role at renew.org. So a uh, little leap of faith for me to go from corporate world to, uh, to running um, a nonprofit like renew.org. Um, but one of the most rewarding and, and one of the, uh, steps that God helped me discern that I'm most grateful for. Bobby, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background into your spiritual journey. I'll try to be brief. I'm going to treat it like a football game. And uh, we're in the fourth quarter. Let me tell you about the first quarter. First quarter, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I did not follow Jesus. I went to a high school where uh, I knew a lot of people at high school, 2100. Um, and uh, I was the president, the students council, captain of the football team. So I knew a lot of people and I only knew three people that went to church. One of them was quote, an American guy that played football with me, talked to me about Jesus, but it wasn't until I was 20 uh, at the University of Calgary that I became a disciple of Jesus. One, I wanted to go study the Bible, so I entered into my second quarter and uh, went down to Harding University on the day of registration. I met a pretty little lady from Memphis, Tennessee, ended up uh, my 
parents and my grandparents and a sister and all became followers of Jesus. So I moved back to Calgary uh, and long, long story short, spent uh, five years running my dad's trucking company, seven years in ministry. And then the Otter Creek Church in Nashville recruited me. And by the time I was 40, entering my third quarter, I planted a church, was asked by a group called Stadia to train church planters. And the third quarter of my life was spent planting a church, training church planters, starting discipleship.org, renew.org, and some things like that. And now in the last quarter, I most important ministry, I think, is, well, I have to say, we want to live out what we teach. So Harpeth Christian Church, we live it out. Uh, the theology we think is so important is uh, what we champion, the teachings of Jesus to fuel disciple-making at Renew. And then uh, discipleship.org is Jesus' methods of disciple-making. So I'm in my fourth quarter, and I hope to have a you know, a good, long fourth quarter, just entered into it, where I uh, like to influence lots of people to be true disciples of Jesus. And there's always overtime, right? That's right. <laughs> and Bobby, you've, you've had your feet in both streams of the Stone Campbell movement, or two of them, it sounds like, the, the Churches of Christ and the, the Christian churches. Um, the guy I, I, who discipled me was a Church of Christ guy. And then uh, since uh, really 1997, I've been a Christian church guy. We, we share that Harding connection. Met my wife there as well. Hey, uh, tell us a little bit about Renew's purpose, a little bit about its mission. Can you drill down in some of the specifics? And, and boy, I might say I spent some time, have spent some time on your website, as well as discipleship.org, but renew.org. And for our listeners... There are just some outstanding resources here, but tell us a little bit more about purpose and mission and, and what you all are about. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, cut to the chase a little bit. So forgive me for that. But uh, about four years ago, there was a group of us who concluded that uh, we had two challenges. The first one is that we cared about disciple making and we realized you won't have a sustained disciple making movement without a theology that undergirds it and requires it. The second thing is in the restoration movement, progressivism had really gotten a foothold. And uh, because the restoration movement has no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, they're particularly vulnerable to progressivism. And so we started Renew to, to be that theological foundation for disciple making that's the alternative to progressivism on the left-hand side and traditionalism or legalism on the right-hand side. Tell, tell us a little bit more about what you just said, that statement you made, that that no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible can kind of move us toward progressivism. Unpack well, if you study history, um, you will find that in the ancient church in the earliest days, uh, you know, you needed to define what certain terms meant. So the early church had the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Rule of Faith. Uh, The Rule of Faith was probably more dominant in the earliest centuries. 
And it just said, here's what we believe. It's like, you know, clarifying, here's what we believe. The restoration movement in the early 19, I'm sorry, early 1800s with Alexander Campbell, it was a cultural context where pretty much everybody in the American frontier believed the Bible. And uh, you were anti-creedal because creeds had become rigid and legalistic. And so there was this rejection of creeds in a culture where most people, you know, they knew the Ten Commandments. You even have Alexander Campbell arguing that, uh, you know, the atonement and the basics of the Christian faith, everybody knows that. So you had to focus on church structure. Well, that world doesn't exist anymore. We live in a world now where junior high school students aren't sure whether they're boys or girls. Uh, you know, they're gender fluid and, and uh, uh, you know, even the, the basics of scripture people don't know. And so what happens in that environment, especially where you don't have faith statements and anchors, is people drift and they're drifting badly right now. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. How do you see this? Um, I know you kind of touched on it and you really talked about it, but can you go into depth a little bit more on how this is going to help the restoration movement in the future? Where do you see the restoration movement now? and Where do you see it headed with or without both, both and? Can I, yeah. Can I just say that um, just, I want to piggyback on what Bobby said, because as the operator for renew.org, I, I get a front row seat to a lot of great disciple makers and have spent a lot of hours with the founders of Renew. And I think it's really important uh, that the earliest Christian churches had a creed. And then we come to North America and we go to a non-creedal state. And then uh, as history marches on, when somebody starts to color outside the lines or somebody starts to define things on their own outside of what's normative, by the biblical scholars and and the and the folks that um, are um, helping guide the church, we don't have anything to point to to say, "Hey, that's not what we all agreed to." Hey, that's not how we've always defined these terms. And so um, w- we see that not only is there um, drift, but there's also a little rebellion from uh, trying. Uh, from from maybe a past of legalism or sectarianism. And so we always talk about it like uh, we're on this highway and there's guardrails that you can set with things like mission, vision, values, almost like a creed. Um, and there's two gutters um, that you try and avoid. And one is being too traditional, too legalistic, too sectarian. The other is uh, when you rebel from that, or you just simply say, you know what, I'm going to start defining things the way I feel they should be defined or the way that seems right to me. And you start finding this other gutter of progressivism, if that helps. Yeah. So for non-creedal churches like ours, where we say no creed, but Christ, um, what, what is, what is the answer to, Hey, how do we, how do we stay the course and on the course? What are your suggestions and thoughts? Can I just uh, challenge something? Sure. Uh, Christian churches and churches of Christ have always been creedal. It just hasn't been written down. <laughs> uh, you know, when I became a follower of Jesus, I remember thinking, man, it's taken me four years to figure out what these people believe because I had to, you know, okay, what about this? What about that? What about the other? It was extremely creedal, but like nobody wrote it down as a something. It would have been really helpful. It's like, 
when you study, I, I don't mean this in the pejorative way it's going to come across, but when you study healthy families, um, healthy families are clear about what they believe and all that. Unhealthy families, they're not clear and they change quite a bit. And so uh, clarity is real helpful. Now, I'll just say this, um, be, because we could be heard to be saying this. We believe the Bible is the final authority. We, we believe that Scripture is the infallible uh, word of God, and it is the ultimate and final authority. So let's not, you know, settle for anything else. The question is, in a Christian community of leaders, uh, what's out of bounds and what's not? What's healthy and what's not? And the average person doesn't have the ability to really know Scripture, and they need to know that their leaders uh, are being held to solid convictions and beliefs. And, and so that's what we seek to do. We have a faith statement, uh, and uh, it's, it represents what we think is the best of the restoration movement. And uh, we ask uh, our leaders to, uh, you know, to adhere to it. We, want, we, we believe certain things are true from Scripture. And so uh, we want to focus on disciple-making, not debating theology, and so these things that are essential and important, we clarify them, and then we focus on the Great Commission. You were asking me, Megan, about the future. Can I, can I speak to that? Yeah, thanks for remembering. You're a good preacher, man. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> preacher, man. But I care about the future. So uh, that's, you know, really was the matrix out of which we started Renew. Because we see uh, tremendous discipling by the world out discipling the church. The average person spending five to seven hours in a social media bubble and one hour on Sunday. Guess whose way of thinking is going to win? It's the social media bubble, not the hour or two on Sunday. And so um, we think now is the time for... Uh, real robust disciple-making uh, with the teachings of Jesus. <clears throat> and it's got to be more than Sunday mornings. It's got to be discipling people the way Jesus discipled people. And so uh, a lot of churches are in trouble because the world is out discipling the kids and the parents. And uh, if you don't disciple people, somebody will. And uh, we we... We are optimistic about everybody who's sold out to two things. Well, I'm going to say there's four things you got to be sold out to or your future doesn't look good. The Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God, with discipling relationships by the people of God, and commitment to the mission of God. Those church communities that are committed to those things have a vibrant future. Those who are confused don't. When you say your commitment to the mission of God, are you talking about the Great Commission? I think that, that the mission of Jesus uh, is the kingdom and disciple-making is the core focus of that mission. It's not the exclusive focus of it. Uh, you said something, Bobby, that it, it very tweetable. I, I, I would love for people to hear that. The world's doing a better job of discipling people than the church is. 
I think so many church leaders are struggling with that question of how can we do a better job of discipling instead of just, you know, offering services on Sunday and hoping people, you know, after a 30 minute sermon, somehow get into the word themselves during the week. Can you guys tell us a little bit about some of the resources uh, that a church lead- leader will find there at renew.org? Jason, you go ahead. Tell them about your website, buddy. <laughs> so yeah, we, we love to pitch websites where people can get good resources. So tell us, tell so, us a little bit about it. Yeah, for, for listeners that are uh, would consider themselves uh, an everyday disciple maker or even a serious layperson, uh, we've got loads of resources, and they'd find them at renew.org. And that's R-E-N-E-W dot O-R-G. Um, what they'll find there is free ebooks, downloads, videos, and then every single day we post fresh content on uh, generally some pretty relevant and contemporary topics. Um, if there's something in the headlines that everybody's talking about, you can probably bet that Renew.org's editorial director, Daniel McCoy, has gotten together a team of really good, uh, well-founded biblical scholars to talk about it in a way that is, uh, like I've mentioned before, on that highway where we're being uh, biblically convicted but culturally relevant in how we talk about things. And we do it all, we try to do it all in a way that's God-honoring but fair and balanced in the approach. And so um, that's all there every day. There's something to uh, wrap your head around, and so we're proud of that. Um, the, uh, the other thing, cause you mentioned church leaders is something that I think we're doing. Uh, we just really began this about 12 to 18 months ago, and it's probably the most exciting thing we've done in the young history at Renew, or maybe I should say that God has done through Renew. And that is, uh, we have about a hundred closing in on 170 lead, uh, church leaders. These are senior leaders of churches. So lead ministers, pastors, evangelists, and um, they get together uh, on a monthly basis through our regional director system. Um, So it's truly a network. It's decentralized. We're not a headquarters of any type. We're not trying to start a denomination. This is a decentralized networking system of leaders that get together to hold each other accountable to their biblical convictions and learn how to better make disciples. And so every month they're getting together in their regional groups, sharing troubles, struggles, concerns, challenging and equipping and encouraging each other. And then uh, the on the off month, we're getting together with world-class disciple makers, people who are um, feet on the ground, planning churches that make disciples that make disciples. And they're talking about what they're doing that works and, uh, and some of the best practices that they have found in uh, putting what we're talking about uh, into real life practice. So that's a couple of the big rocks that uh, we're we're tackling at Renew.org. Now, some might observe that the primary focus of Renew uh, as as discipleship, with kind of a secondary focus on unity, uh, is is that a fair observation? And if so, why have you chosen the priority of discipleship over unity? Or is that a fair way to put that question? Well, I think it is. So let's tackle this. I'm looking at Francis Chan's new book on my desk called Until Unity. Uh, Just as you asked that question, and uh, Francis Chan in that book, it just came out recently, uh, makes a strong case for unity 
and uh, how, uh, you know, in John 17, that's tied with reaching the world. What I like about Francis Chan's book is he talks about an attitude of um, looking for God at work in other people. Um, so that's good, and that's true, and that's right. And it's, a, it's an attitude of humility. Uh, the problem is that it also uh, lacks specifics. Like, um, I can see God working in Roman Catholic people or Orthodox, but I don't think that we have a unity when it comes to doctrine. And doctrine matters, and so, so does the mission of Jesus which uh, at the center of the mission of Jesus is making disciples. And at the center of making disciples is reaching lost people. Disciple making is two things. It's reaching lost people. And then it's helping everybody who's been saved to become more and more like Jesus. So it's salvation and Christ likeness is the core of disciple making. So is that, is that you your next book? Doctors Matters? I'm sorry, Megan, I didn't hear you. Doctrine Matters? That just sounded like a book title. <laughs> no, my, if I was going to write one, it'd be the law, the, the uh, missing doctrine or the lost doctrine of the holiness of God. I would probably do that one because I, I, I think we've got a disappearing doctrine of hell, but it's because we have a disappearing doctrine of God's holiness. You guys anyway. heard it here first. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, write that let, down. Let me just say this. Unity as a focus, in my opinion, is not the need of the hour. The need of the hour is the, that our first priority should be Jesus' last words. To be disciples and make disciples. That's more important than hanging around and saying, aren't we all united? Because sometimes people are uniting around the wrong things. Let's unite around being disciples who make disciples. Let me ask you, um, let me ask you something, Jason. If you could vision cast a future for the Stone Campbell movement, what would it look like and how does unity play a role in that future? Wow. <laughs> Pitch me a slow ball. Um, well, if I could vision cast a future for the Stone Campbell movement, I, I'd like to see an organization uh, maybe not uh, exclusive of uh, something like renew.org, uniting people around uh, doctrine. I think um, I think that it it's something that we're missing. We like so. Let me give you an example from uh, two organizations that are near and dear to me. We have discipleship.org, which is broadly evangelical, and it unites a lot of different people from a lot of different walks and a lot of different denominations around Jesus's method of disciple making. And so if you're interested in how Jesus made disciples and his methodology and uh, learning about that and putting that into practice with others that are doing really well at it from all different walks, faith, traditions, etc., discipleship.org is a tribe that you should check out. Um, but what happened is Bobby and some of the other leaders and founders of discipleship.org said one day, this is all really good. But what motivates us? What gets us up out of bed in the morning and says, come hell or high water, we're going to get give everybody we can a chance to say yes to trust and following Jesus. And you just don't, in my opinion, 
You just don't get motivated to do that. You don't have a good reason to do that unless you have a really solid biblical doctrine that undergirds, supports, celebrates, and pushes you to do that. Otherwise, maybe it's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, maybe it's just something that God has predestined for them, and it's not really upon you to go and fulfill the mission of Jesus. Um, And so what they did, they said, we're going to get a group together that rallies around solid biblical doctrine um, and champions that and then produces tools, resources and things that people can really uh, sink their teeth into to make disciples that make disciples. And and so that's what Renew.org's heartbeat is. Um, It's what everybody that partners with us signs up for. And uh, I see through things like our learning community, uh, leaders who are reinvigorated that are coming out of a a state where they said, hey, I thought my only two options were to captain a graying out sinking ship or to jump onto another one that's veering wildly off course in a progressive direction. And all of a sudden I see there's a tribe of people who can be biblically convicted, um, stand their ground, and yet push forward and grow into a future uh, and and I think that's bright. I see disciple-making movements that can come out of that, and I hope that's the future of the Stone-Campbell movement. I hope Renew.org can be a part of it. Yeah, I'm making, I want to jump in here because I, I kind of was a part of it and then not, and Jason just did a great job. So I just want to add a little PS to what he said. Um, if, if we know this, we know that when you become progressive, there is a clear trajectory that nobody avoids become progressive and your church and your movement will die Mm -hmm. look at europe look at canada i'm a canadian i can tell you firsthand and we have a lot of people in the restoration movement who just love being so progressive on gender on sexuality on the inspiration authority of scripture and the end result of that story is spiritual death absolutely now to clarify when you say progressivism we are talking about theological progressivism not right no yeah okay. not not what <laughs> yes okay uh, so, so david young one of our founders david young wrote a book called a grand illusion uh about progressive christianity so we're talking about classic progressive christianity liberal protestant denominations it's it's where uh, scripture is accommodated to fit the ways of the world. Right. And uh, in the process, you usually become more liturgical because you got to find your stability somewhere. And so we have a lot of people who are just getting more liturgical uh, practically and, and uh, theologically uh, they're just, you know, losing their bearings. And, and that's, you know, Canada went there beforehand Europe went there beforehand. The U.S. is going there. And the only alternative uh, that we see that has strong viability is uh, rock-solid theology focused on relational disciple-making, doing what Jesus did with people today. How how does our movement then with that? Because we historically, my upbringing was always unity around doctrine. That was what we said. So ostensibly, when we talked about unity, it was unity around doctrine. But we fragmented um, in many different directions. 
And and that was uh, this unity created over conservative thinking. It was just you, you were a little bit more to the right of me. There wasn't a lot of progressivism as we're defining it here in my upbringing. So, you know, how do we guard against it in both directions? Can't can't the things that we're saying this is doctrine you must adhere to uh, also uh, push us away from what Christ was praying for in John 17? I mean, because certainly Jesus was saying something and praying for something very dear to his heart. Well, here's the problem. It's like uh, my daughter was saying not too long ago. She said, everybody's so afraid about legalists. She says, I wish I could meet one because they've all seemed to have gone away. And everybody right now is just working so hard not to be a legalist that they're, they're lacking holiness and, you know, the pursuit of obedience. Um, now, look, a lot of people listening to this, you have a legalistic background and there's vestiges of legalism. Culturally, you know, legalism is going to come back, but we've got to culturally we're, we're going to do a little bit of wandering before, you know, there's a snapback to legalism. Uh, I think back to your question about John 17, that a careful reading of scripture reveals there are some things that are essential. And these are hills that we are willing to die defending. These are the things written in blood. Secondly, there are some things that are important, and these are hills we're willing to be wounded defending, but uh, they're written in ink, and we're going to do our best to uphold them, but acknowledge God's saving work, even with people who don't agree, but we're agreed on the essentials. And then the third level is there are things that are just personal or peripheral. They're disputable. And uh, these are written in pencil, and uh, we're going to allow one another freedom as long as we don't cause each other to stumble and fall. Now, uh, it is a lack of clear thinking, uh, which existed more in Scripture than it does amongst us today, uh, where unity uh, is able to come. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, did not want to be united with the Judaizers. They threatened the essential core teachings of the Bible, of Scripture, of the gospel, and he called them out. Uh, so much so, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, let him be eternally condemned. Those are pretty strong words. Those are words where Paul is, uh, those are hills he's going to die on. We have to be clear thinking like that today. Then with the attitude of allowing, um, really pursuing a heart-centered unity uh, based on the, the, the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit's in me, let's, let's try to seek that and have the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, the way Paul says in Ephesians for, but I, I think we have to couple it with clear thinking. Well, guys, this has been a great conversation. I want to say again to our listeners, the, uh, the website is renew.org. It's filled with resources. You guys have a, a meeting coming up November 3rd. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that Yeah, uh, is thanks for asking invited? about that. I want to I want to just pat you on that balding head of yours and say thank you so much for the, I guess, on your back. 
thank you. Jason, give them the details. Sure. It's November 3rd. If you go to our website, uh, renew.org, the very first thing you see is a big feature that says Real Life Theology. And that's the theme for this year's National Gathering. We're hoping uh, to see about a thousand of uh, folks that uh, want to gather and understand why theology matters, why it matters in your real life. And we're going to hear from some folks that have written some books for us uh, and some people that are out there making disciples. It's down in Murfreesboro. That's in the greater Nashville area. And uh, yeah, we hope anybody that hears this can attend. You can uh, click on the website there and get your tickets now. We've got an early bird special that won't be there forever. Um, So come one, come all. Hey, can I say, I want to interrupt and just say something about that. One of the things you'll see at the Renew Gathering is we call them the four streams of people drawn to Renew. So it's being held at the Experience Community Church. It's the fastest growing church in all of Tennessee. They went from zero to about 3,510 years. Um, The lead guy there, Corey Trumbull, came out of a Pentecostal background. We ended up, uh, he and myself and David Young spent time together. And uh, they're hosting us in a warehouse they converted that actually still has a brewery in it. Uh, but it it kind of gives you a, a just a taste of the fact that this is a church region and discipling so many people. So people like Corey Tremble, who has no roots in the restoration movement, uh, a scholar like Matthew Bates, probably the world's leading authority on the gospel right now. He became a part of Renew, joined a Christian church in Quincy, Illinois, Ralph Moore, the founder of the Hope Chapel movement, they're all a part of Renew, and they're from that fourth stream. Then we have some uh, International Church of Christ, folks with International Church of Christ, like some of you. So you've got uh, Marcus uh, uh, Marcato, uh, planted a church up in Delaware. Um, Then you've got the Christian church guys like me and Nate Ross um, and... uh, my mind's gone blank right now on some, but we have a lot of Christian church guys uh, and then Church Christ guys like David Young, um, uh, Jonathan Stormont, um, Rick Ashley. Uh, they're all going to be speaking at Dave Clayton uh, with Ethos Church in Nashville. And uh, so you're, you're going to find that's people representing the four streams. Well, guys, it has been great to be with you. You're going to be back with us next week, and we're going to be talking about conviction and civility. So how do we have these conversations in a culture where incivility has become the norm? And uh, we look forward to that conversation as well. Megan, why don't you uh, close us out? And guys, thanks again for being with us. Hey guys, if you enjoy this podcast, go ahead and give us five stars. Hit subscribe so that we pop up in your news feed as soon as you turn open your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. 
Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.